This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. What a fitting intro to another edition of a Helium Boys Car Cast Carway Highway Podcast. I don't know what the official title is, but we're here. Shotgun, could you describe what is around us right now? Uh, we got some kind of orchards, um, and we're basically in the middle of you know the the five the trip from. NorCal down to SoCal, where you're just driving along the stretch of the five, where there's really nothing except for some farming land. And we have a special guest with us. Uh, I don't, I don't, I didn't get his name, but sir, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm your chauffeur, <laughs> Ryan Abraham. Uh, just honored to be a guest on the Helium Boys podcast as I drive you guys back to LA. Yeah, we decided to take it a step up this year. You know, last year, 2021. Just a dilapidated season. We were driving ourselves. Now we're in a Tesla. We got not. We're, we're, we left that broke boy energy in the past. We have a chauffeur named Ryan. Uh, Ryan, do you know anything about USC football? Because we're about to do this this podcast. So hopefully you can help us out. I want to learn from you guys. Just whatever you know, whatever I can just absorb. Just be a sponge and find out what the Healing Boys think about USC and Stanford. All right, I hope he's ready because we're gonna throw him some. We're just gonna throw it to him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we we gotta. You gotta, you gotta step things up with you know this season and the way USC's playing already. We go from a Honda Civic and having an accident last year, and you know being involved with a shootout. You know, we had a lot of things go on with the Helium Boys, uh, you know, road trips last year. Instead, this year we're in the Tesla. We got a chauffeur. He's paying for our meals and our hotel stays and everything else as well. You know, we're just living the good life, kind of like this USC offense right now. Absolutely. Is that is that is that where you want to start? I mean, you have to start there, don't you? I mean, thirty-five points in the in the first half uh, against Stanford didn't you know? First five drives of the game, five touchdowns. You know, second half was a little bit of a struggle. They try to slow things down, and I think that just kind of shows you that this offense doesn't need to slow down. When they slow down, that's when they run into a little bit of issues the last couple of weeks. When they're you know just rolling with things and you know keeping their foot on the pe- their foot on the pedal and kind of going for it, uh, I think that's when they're at their best. And that's kind of what some of the players said after the game is, you know, we have to keep our foot on the pedal, we have to keep our foot on you know the opponent's neck and not let up. And you hear that from Jordan Addison, you hear that from Travis Dye. So I think that's something that they take away from this. Now, you obviously, you want to slow the tempo down to run some clock and stuff in the second half, but. 
if I'm Lincoln Riley with the weapons that you have, I think that I just kind of keep rolling with my normal offense and just run the play clock down a little bit rather than being more conservative with the play calling because you have so many weapons that you want to feed. So that second half, when you're up big, you might as well start getting the ball to, you know, to Malcolm Maps and get the ball to your tight ends, get the ball to, you know, Austin Jones out of the backfield and get some touches for more people, Taj Washington and Kyron Ware Hudson, all these people that maybe have one catch in a game. You know, get them that second catch, get them a third catch, you know, get them a, you know, an extra touch so they're feeling good heading that next game. And then, because you never know when you have an injury when somebody's going to have to step up. And we've already seen how dynamic this offense is with the different weapons, but there's a whole slew of them that are still waiting behind in the wings, uh, waiting for their opportunity to get, to get the, the ball in their hands as well. I agree. When you say, you know, it felt like the offense was a little bit too conservative. They just, it just didn't work. You know, this was a high-flying offense that is at its best when it's attacking, when it's pushing, you know, the limit. And it, it just felt like such a highly fine-tuned machine in the first half when they changed it just a little bit to be more conservative. It just didn't work. It was kind of herky-jerky. It just didn't have that momentum. And we, we saw it stall out, you know, for, for a brief second there. It felt like uh, I'm sure a lot of fans had PTSD to uh, last season <laughs> with some with some stall outs. But I tweeted in the first half, like, this offense, just a freaking buzzsaw when it's on point and just can't be stopped and can score down the field in one play or cut you up with seven plays to get in the end zone in, in a minute and, and 20 seconds. Just, just things like that. And, you know, picked up where they left off against that kind of rice game when the first when the first offense uh, left the field and handed it off to the second team didn't get you know the backups in for this one it was a little bit closer a tale of two two halves as uh, the cliche goes but overall I think just a lot of positives we're going to talk about some of the negatives but overall Ryan yeah uh, I'm I hope you're a football fan. I hope you watched the game. Did you have any <laughs> thoughts on uh, a USC offense maybe you're not that familiar with? Yeah, no, I think uh, slowing it down in the second half uh, didn't really work that well. I mean, to go from five straight touchdowns where you don't even face a third down in any of those drives, like not a single third down conversion because you didn't face any third downs, to only scoring six points in the second half. Uh, you know, that was a little disappointing, but I think it was one of those things when you listen to Lincoln Riley afterwards talking about there were things you got to clean up, but really happy to get a road win, really happy to get a first Pac-12 win, really happy to get a win against a team that pushed you around last year. And I think for a, a Stanford squad that really pulled out all the stops uh, in this one, you know, David Shaw always has tricks up his sleeve. I mean, they brought in a whole new offense. We'll talk about that later. But I think to come away with a win and to be able to pile on points early on and really kind of take Stanford out of it was important. But you would have liked to see another touchdown or two in the second half if, uh, if possible. But, you know, the first half was a thing of beauty. Turnovers and uh, scoring every time you touch the ball. Like, you can't ask for much more than that. And when you're looking at the offense, it seemed like they got a little conservative with the play calling in the second half. Or maybe Lincoln Riley felt, hey, we're up big enough. I don't need to break out anything new. Uh, let's run some of the plays that we've already run in the game. And Stanford, you know, made some adjustments to some of the stuff they saw. But the play calling, there's just the way they build on different plays. You know, they have the GT pull, which is the guard tackle pull, which is a staple of the Lincoln Riley offense. But they build on that. They use the tunnel screen to the opposite side uh, to Jordan Addison for the touchdown, the first touchdown. That was off the GT pull going the opposite direction. And then later in the game, 
they do the GT pull again, you know, they fake it, the GT pull, they fake the tunnel screen to the back side and throw the screen out to Travis Dye on the front side. And there's no one there on it. So just the way they're building off different plays and stuff like that, I, I think is really fun to watch and see, you know, something that I could not believe they were not doing in the past with some of the you know concepts that they had and where they could build on them but they just weren't doing it um, under Graham Harrell but now you're seeing Lincoln Riley the way they can build on different things and I feel like in that second half maybe you didn't see as much new stuff there as you know that you had uh, uh, um, unveiled in the first half you kind of ran the same things and maybe you feel like you're up big enough let's not show anything else to the next opponent or the next opponent after that um, you know let's just keep some of those things that maybe we designed for this week let's just keep those in the bag for now and we'll wait uh, you know we'll just kind of wait this out and, and go with the with the offense that we've shown already uh, but that means you got to execute a little bit better and that was something they didn't do well enough in the second half so you got to clean some of those things up but good to see different players from week one outside of Jordan Addison who again had two touchdowns had a monster game 172 yards you know the big play threats we didn't really see that in week one from USC. They didn't really try to attack down the field much. But you saw Jordan Addison one-on-one matchups with, with uh, Kyrie Blue Kelly, who's Stanford's top cornerback, and just burning him. Dusting him uh, once for a 75-yard touchdown, breaking free of the tackle, and then getting him a second time on a post-corner route uh, that, you know, didn't get a chance to – he didn't break the tackle, so it ends up being a 40-something yard gain that sets up the first field goal in the second half. But, you know, just a nasty route that he was running out there. And that's what you can do because you have so many weapons, you've got to be focused on what the run game's doing because Travis Dye had a, you know, a, what is it, 30 or 40-yard run in the first half to, to score a touchdown. You know, and Austin Jones had a couple of nice carries and runs against his former team. But you also had Mario Williams with a short uh, swing pass out to the, to the right side and he's able to break an ankle and get into to the end zone for a touchdown. You have Lake McCree scoring a touchdown off a of play action. So you have all these weapons that you've got to uh, account for, and then you can't double-team everybody. You can't keep an extra guy in the box every time. So then when you get, you have that single coverage, you got one-on-one with a guy like Jordan Addison. He showed what he can do with his route running as well as his just ability to, to make plays. So I think you're seeing the different – aspects of this offense and why it could be scary good this season as they continue to refine some of those things and that execution that maybe wasn't quite there in the second half as it continues to get better too. Do you, we feel like it kind of played out, maybe not the struggles of the offense in the second half, but do you feel like it kind of played out as we all had thought this would play out? You know, USC's offense was going to be too much for a Stanford defense that um, I believe you had said before we started recording is but Yeah. Pretty, that, pretty but Yeah, there were, I mean, there, the Stanford offense was a lot better than I thought. Uh, I thought they would be good. You know, they got a bunch of skill players back. Uh, Tanner big, McKee. Big wide receivers. Tanner yeah. McKee's an NFL quarterback. I thought he did really well. Um, you know, E.J. Smith, uh, you know, Emmett Smith's kid. He had the, the battle of the former NFL legends, kids of the former NFL legends. He definitely beat out Brendan Rice in this one, but he had a big game. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, defensively, you thought Stanford was going to have problems, and USC would kind of move the ball at will. And I just felt like USC's offense would overmatch Stanford's defense more than Stanford's offense would overmatch USC's defense and you know USC's defense it's funny Lincoln Riley called it you know the explosive plays 
where they were just giving up chunk yards, you know, like 10 yards to play sometimes, but they were able to get those explosive plays, force a turnover. Uh, they got a whole bunch of sacks. So they were able to kind of like not, you know, Stanford wasn't scoring every time, but they looked like they could. But you get those explosive plays, and then it changes the game. So I feel like that's the that was the difference. I, I think I predicted 42-24. It was pretty close to that. So, um, yeah, it kind of went the way I thought. But when they come out and score 35 straight points, you think they're going to score more in the second half. That would, that would be the one thing. You didn't think it was going to be a... You know, just all, you know, all gas, no break in the first half. And then sort of like meandering your way towards the finish line at the end. It's funny because I definitely felt like this game could look very differently because obviously you get four turnovers. A lot of those were in the red zone for for Stanford's offense that really shut them out out of whatever, whether it be a, a touchdown. And it looked like they were on their way to to six every time or held them to a field goal. But then on the other side, USC's offense only put up six points in the second half. So on one side, you could say USC, excuse me, should have had maybe 60 in this one. And then looking to the other side, well, maybe Stanford would have put up maybe closer to 35 points in this game. So you look at it both ways, and but I think it played out exactly how we did, even though it was a little bit different in terms of how we saw the offense playing in that second half. Yeah, I mean, if Stanford doesn't turn the ball over on the goal line, I mean, they lined up for a field goal. There was a, a, an offsides penalty, and they decided to go for and fourth down. Makai Blackman with the, the big tip interception. I said this on instant analysis, but very uh, symbolic of, you know, it's a very the same exact situation happened last year. David Shaw took points off the board on that occasion. Uh, they had kicked the field goal that time, took the points off the board, went for it on fourth down, and got a touchdown. This time, they don't kick the field goal, they don't make the try. You know, the, the penalty was called before, but they they decide to go for it on fourth down. They throw a fade route, Makai Blackman tips it, intercepts it, and that just shows what what a difference it is from 12 months ago. And Lincoln Riley mentioned that in the post-game press conference. But you think about if they just kick a field goal there and they kick a field goal when E.J. Smith fumbles down to the goal line, uh, when Max Williams knocks the ball free, that's six points. And suddenly it's, you know, it's a 41 to 34 game and you're a touchdown away. Or if they score touchdowns on both of those, it's 42-41. So it could be a completely different game. And I think it's very interesting. We've noted the, the turnovers USC is creating. I haven't really talked much about the fact that USC doesn't have a turnover so far, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. You are correct. I mean, Caleb Williams is being super efficient with his passing. He's being super safe with the ball. There's not a lot of dangerous throws. Not even a lot of throws where you go like, oh, that could have been an interception. No tipped or any double coverage. You're like, oh, they got lucky there. I haven't said yeah. they got lucky there at all. Or anybody that's really dropped the ball. The closest have been on some pun returns. I feel like Addison's uh, bobbled a couple. Yeah, they did have a bobble yesterday. And there was a, a, a bad snap in the first game. They got away from Caleb, but he went and picked it up and, you know, completed a pass, I believe, on it for a, a minimal gain. But you're not seeing, like, like the, the dangerous type plays where it's like, oh, USC is just being lucky right now. And that they're not having turnovers because they're being lucky. And they're not, you know, it's, you don't feel this, the same thing with the, the turnovers they're creating. It's not like, oh, they just got lucky. The guy just dropped the ball as he's running type of thing. A lot of people want to talk about the in the first game uh, that there were tipped interceptions. Well, they're creating those interceptions by Eric Gentry being in passing lanes and by, you know, the pass rush getting in the face of the quarterback. You saw a tip ball uh, in the game to, uh, on Saturday where the ball 
tips off the receiver's hands. And hey, you could say this was it was lucky for USC to be able to get this tip interception. The first one is open the game, but it tips off of Max Williams' hand. I mean, off of the receiver's hands. Then Kalen Bullock tips it up in the air. Max Williams is nowhere in sight when the ball hits the receiver's hands, and he just shows the effort and the fact that Kalen Bullock then tips it up in the air, gets his hand on the ball rather than it just dropping to the ground. And so you're creating that. It's a little bit of luck that it tips one way and Max Williams can come sweep in, but it takes the effort for Kalen Bullock to get his hand on it. It takes the effort for Max Williams to go get it. So a little bit of luck, but you're putting the effort in as well and creating those turnovers. And then Makai Blackman, that's all on him. Uh, You know, the Max Williams fumble, that's all on Max Williams. Makai Blackman diving into a pile and coming out with uh, the ball. Tuli Tui Pelotu getting to the sideline to make a tackle on EJ Smith, and he knocks the ball free. And uh, Jacoby Covington nearly had a touchdown if he did. just waited half a half a second before he grabbed the ball to get his knee off the ground. That would have been another touchdown for USC's defense. Just so, so excited. I mean, I mean, he was just so excited. It's like, hey, we need a defensive touchdown. Everyone's <laughs> going to make fun of us. Yeah, you're just so excited. I didn't even see the ball come out. Everyone's like, whoa, what's going on? And he's just running into the end zone. And the refs played it right. They let the they let it play out mm-hmm. and give them the score before they go back and look at it. So that's how it's supposed to be done. So hats off to the ref. Not not too much there was hats off to the refs last night. I didn't think it was a, a very well-called game necessarily. Hats off to the ref for one second. <laughs> one second. Ryan, what do you think of turnovers? Yeah, I mean, there's a, a thing called turnover luck, right? But you can make your own luck. Like you're, like Shaka was talking about, you're getting in passing lanes, you're putting pressure on the quarterback. If you're getting your hands on the ball and it's going up in the air, I mean, you have as good a shot as catching it as the offense does. And, you know, I think some things have gone USC's way for sure, but you're making, you're trying to make it happen. You know, you're doing whatever you can to force those turnovers. And I don't think you can continue on, you know, four turnovers a game to none. Like that's a... Uh, that's a, that's a tough that's an impossible uh, uh, average. That's, average isn't the right word. That's an impossible statistic to keep up. So right. it's going to be regression. Yeah, like you're not. You're going to be on pace for what? You know, almost fifty turnovers. Like probably not. But um, I mean, you're already what half your total of all of last, last year. year. Uh, that's pretty good through the first two games, especially with one of them being a road conference game. But you know, that's it's if that's going to be the the mark of this USC defense. Sometimes you need a defense to be paired with the offense you know if you have a defense that's kind of high flying but you're it's like an Iowa offense where you're just playing for field position all the time this is one where you know the offense is going to score points and if you the defense can just take the ball like let them score twice and then you get an interception on the third one the offense is going to be fine you know so I feel like that it matches well if that's if they're going to be this high octane defense that gets torched or takes the ball back and maybe scores themselves that's not a bad pairing for uh, this U- this USC offense that looks a whole lot like what Lincoln Riley was doing in Oklahoma, like you know, two games in. Uh, but you're, it, you can be living dangerously a little bit for sure. But I think it's a you know, like a good wine and with your your steak, like you want a, a good pairing. This seems like a good pairing from what the defense is doing. You'd like it to get better, but for what this offense is and what the defense is doing, this seems like a good pairing. Hold on. Are we allowing him to bring in food analogies? Just just drop it into our podcast and drop a food analogy. I don't yeah. know how we feel about this, Chris. Yeah, well, I think I think the fact that he's driving, he should be allowed to. <laughs> he's handled two questions while a car has had to slow down in front of us and merge beautifully, seamlessly, <laughs> flawlessly. So I think that warrants a little bit of a food analogy. I think he can get one in there. I, I, I'll allow it. Well, one thing to note about the, the turnovers that USC or the takeaways that USC is creating is what the offense has done with those. 
I mean, all four yesterday uh, against Stanford, they turned into points. So it's not like, hey, you're you're getting a turnover and you're just saving the the points from going on the board now. And then you're going three and out and you're punting the ball. And then suddenly the offense is right back down there. The opposing offense is right back down in the red zone. So last season. Exactly. You know, where you could create a turnover, but, it, you know, you felt like, okay, that just gives us a breather for now if you're the defense. Um, whereas the offense, you, you create a turnover now, and you feel like, all right, that's seven points. Uh, it's at least three, but that's probably seven points because of the way the offense has rolled. And I, I'm trying to think back to the Rice game, but I think USC capitalized on all four of those as well. Uh, so I believe it's yeah, – I mean, four. three of them were defensive touchdowns themselves, and then Zamarian Gordon, that was a touchdown. After so USC has now scored, um, you know, 56 points off of turnovers if you include the, the pick sixes in that as well. So you, if you score 56 points off your turnovers through two games, you're going to have a great chance of winning because the offense is going to score some on its own as well when it you know just gets the ball off a punt situation. So I, I think USC's rolling right now through the first two games. There are definitely some things that are uh, a big concern, but you got to be excited about the potential of this team. And that's kind of how it sounded Lincoln Riley in his pro- post-game press conference is that he sounded like, hey, we've got to do some things better, but I'm excited about where we're at right now. And he said that at one point because he was mentioning some, some of the negatives, and he said, I don't want this to, to sound too negative. I want it to be known that this is a positive outcome to come on the road, a place where USC hadn't won since 2014, has struggled mightily the last 15 years or so uh, when they've come up to the farm just for whatever reason. There's been a lot of things that just haven't gone their way. Balls off hands, you know, uh, field goals at the end of the game, those type of things that at USC struggled to, to find wins in Palo Alto. And to come up and do it in a pretty dominant way to where it was 41-14 with a minute to go in the third quarter. Now, Stanford did tack on those two and made it a little bit closer and had an, a chance with an onside kick to maybe make this a game. But USC was able to find a way to close it out. And, you know, in the last five minutes, you weren't that concerned after they recovered that that onside kick. But you know, that's something that, you know, it's always tough to win on the road, especially when you look at the results around the country yesterday. You know, I, there's definitely some things to nitpick on and say, hey, you got to get better at this. And when you face a Utah, you're going to have to be much better at these type of things. But you look at what the Sun Belt did yesterday, just destroying teams' dreams, Wow, destroying Desmond Howard's playoff bracket and making Desmond Howard destroyed his own bracket, let's be real. <laughs> and making four point two million dollars in the process. You know, it, by beating uh, what was it, Notre Dame, uh, Nebraska, Nebraska and Texas AM and Texas AM. Those three were by games. These three Sunbelt teams went on the road. Congratulations to Appalachian State, Marshall, and Clay Hilton's Georgia Southern team going on the road and getting wins and each of them getting paid, you know, around a million to $1.5 million to go and play that game. So you see those results that are happening around the country and you got to be satisfied if you're a USC fan with the way the first two weeks have played out and the fact that this team is only going to get better if they stay healthy because they're still learning a new system. They're still putting things in each week. You're still learning your personnel and where they fit exactly best 
and you're seeing some movement a little bit. You saw Tuli Tupelotu move inside with Dejan Benton out. You saw Romelo Height goes out with an injury. Well, Solomon Bird, who barely played it all in the first game, comes in in that backup rush-in spot and has two sacks. You know, so you're seeing you know guys get their opportunities and trying to make the most of it. So I, I think the team's only going to get better as the season progresses. Now they got to stay healthy, especially in some of the areas where they're thin. But uh, you know, you got to be excited if you're a USC fan. A fan, I think. You know, one of the things I think the positivity, like you're talking about. I mean, if, if fans are upset, I get it. But you could be Notre Dame and be zero and two, and you could be Texas A&M and losing to a. A bad squad. You could call this. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Don't you talk about the Mountaineers of Appalachian State like yeah. that? <laughs> uh, you, you could call. They didn't have the number one recruiting class in the history of the world. Also like true. Texas A&M. Also, they, um, they had one top seventy-five recruiting class in the last five years. I think it was. Yeah. So, the, like, you look at the situation. Is this a clunker game for USC? It's hard to go score five straight touchdowns and then say hey, maybe it's a clunker. They, they gave up a lot of yards. They gave up a bunch of points. But I would say. If you play, you know, Air Force and they're like running all over you, it's like, well, that's what they do. It's a different offense than what you've seen and your defense might not fit it well. This was a Stanford team that pulled out all the stops. They came out with a very unique offense that that no one's ever seen. Dave Clawson, who runs this at Wake Forest, who they went to the ACC championship game last year. Slow mesh. It's a really fun kind of offense to watch. It's based on these RPOs. And you have, you know, these delayed handoffs and you're not sure what's going to happen. I mean, just to pull that out of nowhere, um, it's kind of crazy. So, like, you're not prepared for it. And I think it's one of those things where you can take some of the, you know, 400 whatever yards that Stanford got. Some of that with a grain of salt just because you've faced an offense that you've never even seen before. And it's funny, you know, Bruce Feldman's a friend of mine. He coached his kids, peewee team. Uh, over the summer, and uh, you know his son Ben is actually on the—he's on the same team as uh, Dennis Simmons' son, uh, Cannon. And the two of them—you know, Bruce is the coach. He didn't want to be the coach. He's trying to create an offense for these guys, and he starts running off of, you know, like something like the slow mesh. He talks to Dave Clawson about it, and it was like a a pedal, like a, a play that their quarterback just kind of got confused, and they sort of paused, and it really worked. And like, oh, we should try something like this, and it was like the slow mesh. Well, somehow David Shaw, like, gets a hold of this. I, you know, we don't know if he talked to the guys at Wake Forest or not. And maybe they just studied the film and they implemented it. And they did a, I thought they did a really nice job of it. But I would, that's one of those things. It's just they, did, they pulled something completely out of thin air that only one program in the entire country runs. So I'm not going to, like, get too harsh on the USC defense for, for something like that. So we'll see how they do kind of going forward. There's certainly some things to work on. But that was... This was David Shaw pulling out all the stops, and USC still was running all over them for most of the game. Shotgun, do you think USC fans should take some joy in the fact, even though, you know, maybe they're not super excited about the defensive performance, that it was the defense that closed out this game for them in terms of, you know, stopping them on that final drive, coming up with two big sacks uh, from Tuli Tuli Pelotu, and then Solomon Bird to kind of close it out on a fourth down and, you know, getting that victory from a formation for the offense when, you know, the offense wasn't able to, you, you felt like one score, that'd be it, that that would put them away, but it, it fell on the defense to kind of, you know, right some of the wrongs that have been going on through the game and kind of ended like that. Yeah, a little bit of a redemption for the defense to be able to just close it out. Like, okay, we've given up a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, it, you know, 
the score was 35 to 14 at halftime. The, you know, USC did get outscored in the second half, but it was 14-6. It's not like it was 28-6 to in the second half and, you know, everything was going wrong for USC. You know, they in the second half, Stanford was able to move the ball in the fourth quarter. Third quarter, they didn't really do too much. Uh, USC was able to hold on to the ball for a while and kind of run the clock, and they had to settle for a couple field goals. So, you know, you get into the end zone, things seem a lot different, but I do think it's a kind of a, uh, a strong way to end the game for the defense for their confidence as well. Well, that you're not finishing the game on a couple of touchdown drives by Stanford, but no, you went out and you finished the game off with a couple of sacks to end it and say, all right, this is done. We're done with this. We're moving on to the next week. Um, but to back to Ryan's uh, mention of Bruce uh, Feldman, what what a uh, youth peewee football flex. You're like, oh, yeah, I just I, I called up the Wake Forest head coach to see how he runs his offense and then implemented it with my peewee team. Uh, you know, that's – also, why why can Dennis Simmons not coach? Is he busy or something? I don't, I don't understand. He's a little bit busy. <laughs> just a little bit busy. But, yeah, so they brought – like like Ryan said, they, they completely went to the end uh, of trying to figure out a way to beat USC. They pulled out all the stops. All right, we're going to – we're going to – unveil this new offense against USC. We're not going to do any of it. We're not going to run any of these plays against Colgate. We'll use our base stuff from the past, make it seem like we're running the same stuff over and over. And then we're going to spring this on them and see if they can handle it. And USC had some struggles with it, but USC also made some adjustments and was able to slow some of that down in the second half a little bit more. Um, I, I think that they, they figured out, you know, they figured out a way to win on the defensive side. That was to create those turnovers. They got they got really strong in the second, I mean in the uh, in the red zone. They kind of stiffened their neck and said, hey, we're not we're not letting you in the end zone type of, of thing. And you know, I, they've got to still grow from this. They've got to figure out the defensive line still. There's still some issues there. And part of it is the injuries. You know, Dejon Benton, who was a starter, him not making the trip with USC. And then Romello Height going out in the first quarter, I believe it was, um, banging that shoulder up again. It looked like it popped out. Once again, you know, I, I've seen some athletes in the past where they have just a shoulder that will pop in and out pretty consistently. Uh, we had one, my, my college had, we had a basketball player who would literally go to the end of the bench, get his shoulder popped back in, and go back at the end of the game. So I don't know if his shoulder is to that extent yet, but you know it's it's definitely a concern and something that we're going to have to ask Lincoln Riley about. How much of a concern is that shoulder going forward? Is that something you can rest him for a week and heal up, or is this something he's got to play through? Or are we concerned if you're USC about you know the potential of him being done for the season at some point if you you get something else, or is it just going to be something lingering? I don't I don't know the exact extent of the injury or what you know what the prognosis is there, but is he going to get better, or is it something he's going to be fighting through, or is it something they got to shut him down completely? All those type things are definitely a concern because of the depth issues at that spot. You know, you saw Sonnenberg come in and play really well, and that's a big positive for USC. The negative at that spot is one Romello Heights injury, but then Corey Foreman hasn't done enough in the coach's eyes to step up and take over that role and commandeer it. Even though he made some nice plays last week, apparently he didn't do enough or Sonnenberg did more than him this week during practice, which goes back to the competition and practice. And listening to the players after this game, they mentioned it again and again about how difficult practice has been going against the opposition, uh, you know, the offense or the defense on the other side, and how that's preparing them for the games. Uh, so it's getting a little bit of a feel back towards the Pete Carroll uh, days of you know it being more 
difficult in practice than it was in games. But the rush in spot, Sonnenberg did enough to, to earn some playing time, and then Corey Foreman only got a few snaps in the game. So what's it going to take for Corey Foreman to, to be able to realize his potential and be able to get out there full time? That's going to be the big question because they need him with the depth concerns that they have at that position. And then you know, what are they going to do on the interior? Do they feel like they have enough bodies there? Are they going to have to rotate more guys? You know, what, what's going to be the, the deal there with Dejan Benton being out right now? I mean, there, there's definitely some concerns there, but you got to feel happy about the overall performance of the defense and being able to kind of finish, the, finish that one off. I think it's going to be more rotation for that defensive line, just to throw that in there. You know, I think we saw more Jamar Sakona than we did on, on that uh, on Saturday. Obviously, they have some bodies to play with, whether that's, you know, moving up maybe freshman Devin Tompkins. I don't think he's ready yet, but he's a big body. Mm-hmm. He's a guy, hopefully, maybe he can contribute after the bye week or maybe by that Utah week with that big front that they're going to fill. You know, you have Kobe Pepe. You know, a lot of people were asking me about the tailgates and Bosco fans were asking, or Bosco, uh, yeah, Bosco fans, what am I saying, that were asking me about, you know, Kobe Pepe and how he's doing. So that's the guy maybe you get you get involved. You have Colin Mobley, obviously, uh, from the greatest high school in the world, DeMatha Catholic, uh, <laughs> on the DMV. So they have some guys to work with. They just need guys to step up. Obviously, we yeah. don't know how, how long Ben's going to be out, which is a which is a bummer for that that front because, you know, he did a lot in fall camp to earn that spot. Did but, a lot in the opening game with the career-high tackles. Yeah, five or six tackles there coming from the defensive tackle position is pretty impressive for him. And he was shooting through the line, doing some really nice things. So that that's going to be a question with you know how long he's out because of the plays that he was making. And you know, a little bit concerning with Romello with that shoulder, a guy who had shoulder injuries mm-hmm. when he was at Auburn had surgery. I don't know if it was his freshman year or his redshirt freshman year, but he had shoulder surgery. And then you know, this isn't me saying anything like source or knowledge of this, but it just feels like. It, the possibility of him having to get surgery on it this year is it looks it looks like it could be a thing, which is concerning with the depth. But the other injury, uh, Ryan chauffeur, would be Corland Ford, the big left tackle who ended the game would look like maybe an ankle injury. Yeah, I saw him when uh, we came down from the press box the last five minutes. Uh, Stanford was leaving the field and he was on a cart waiting to kind of get out, waiting for the Stanford players to to file out of there. Now they, you know, they were rotating two guys. You got Bobby Haskins and Cortland Ford. I think Cortland Ford had a holding penalty in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was one thing there, but we talked to Lincoln Riley this week and, you know, I asked him about the left tackle spot and he's, you know, he liked the way both guys were playing. He said if one really separates himself, he's like, ideally, someone separates himself, but the other guy's playing really well too. And then you're going to need more than five guys. And so, the fact that they feel really good about six, well, now one of them could potentially be gone, and now you got five. So you're gonna, you still have to build up that depth. They're okay for now, but you're two games in. If you're one lineman down, and we don't know the extent of the injury, we might not hear much of anything because we're just not hearing much about injuries right now. Uh, but you know, I, they'll be okay with Bobby Haskins if he's going to be the starter there. He's you know, started for three years at Virginia, but it's a concern when you like your six guys and one of them goes. If if one of them goes down, then. You're in a little bit of trouble. And real quick on the defensive line, I like seeing Nick Figueroa start. Again, that was good. Uh, they moved Thule, uh inside. I mean, he's just someone that goes out there and makes plays, great motor and all that. So it, I four, think right. four tackles for loss for Thule yesterday. That's why in week one kind yeah. of blew up. He probably is more of an inside guy, right? So just put him inside, let Nick start out there, and he'll be okay. 
I mean, that, that what makes Thule so special when you talk to the coaches is his versatility. The fact that you can line him up in a wide nine if you need to. You can line him up over the nose if you need to, depending on the, you know, the, the looks that you're getting. And he can do all that. I mean, you know, he didn't do much against Rice, but he was getting a lot of the attention from Rice. So I think that's why he didn't get as much. So now he moves inside. Now you're going up against instead of getting the tackles and maybe you're getting a chip or maybe you're getting a, a running back trying to help out. Now suddenly you're going against a guard and maybe you don't get you get kind of that one-on-one coverage uh, from him. But the plays he, he makes and the, the, uh, the energy that he brings out of the team, I mean, the force fumble he had was at the sideline. He made another play down the field where, you know, he, he had a big hit with Eric Gentry where he's seven yards down the field. Like, he is all over the place. And that's the, the type of player that you're looking for, you know, the guys that are going to give you that effort all the time and have that motor that they're not going to, you know, they're, they're never going to stop. They're never going to loaf on the play. And that's something that this coaching staff in particular has been very – has harped on a lot in practice and different things about they're not going to be any loafing. You're going to have to get out there and, you know, make plays. You should be going 100% all the time, and then we'll get you off the field and get somebody else in there when you get tired. But Tuli Tuli Below 2 doesn't ever really seem to be tired, to be honest. He's one of those few guys that just seems like he's always never really breathing that heavy. He's always ready to go, and, you know, he continues to make plays, and he had a big one at the end with the sack to, to really, you know, stump that, that final Stanford drive before he could get going. Uh, speaking of effort, Shotgun, this might have been our first road game working together on the field. I believe right? so. What did you think of my effort out there? First road <laughs> contest for me, first packed over road on the, on the field. Yeah, you were all right. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> i take that. You guys, like, left me alone in the press box because, like, our buddy RJ, he kind of, like, you know, he was there. He was, like, sort of... It was RJ that. week. It was RJ week. It was you know, Stanford, yeah. Stanford alum. So I sort of was, like, up in the press box, you know. They were calling... The, at the tailgate, we went to that tailgate, you and me. They uh, they were calling him, uh, what, Trader Benedict Arnold? Yeah, yeah. Like, he's a Stanford grad covering USC. So, you know, I think he had to go get <laughs> some of his Stanford cred back. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. It was a good tailgate, though. So thanks, RJ, for that one. Now, moving forward, Fresno State, I know we're not going to get too previewy, but what are your early thoughts going to that matchup with a guy with a, a really good quarterback and, a, you know, a, a team that went toe-to-toe with Oregon State? I mean, the most notable thing from their matchup last night with Oregon State was how excited Ryan was when they won. <laughs> Hell because, yeah. Because of his picks against David Woods, primarily. <laughs> um, so we were watching that game on the way out. Uh, but... Fantastic finish there. Both teams scoring in the final three minutes, I think it was, uh, to for Oregon State to go ahead. And then Fresno State retakes the lead. And then Oregon State gets it down. They had a minute left, a minute and five, I believe. Drive it down. Pass interference call. There's, you know, they get down the two-yard line. Timeouts back and forth. They decide to go for it. They get the, the play and run it in for a touchdown to win the game on the final play. It was a great game. And one USC fans should have been watching because that's their next two opponents. So Fresno State has a really good quarterback in Jake Hayner. They've got Jeff Tedford back as the head coach. Very dangerous team. So USC cannot overlook Fresno uh, in this game or else they'll be in trouble. Uh, you know, they they played Oregon State really tough. And I think Oregon State's going to be one of the top four or five teams in the Pac-12. So it'll be interesting to see how Fresno State kind of bounces back from this. Are they, you know, downtrodden because – of the loss to Oregon State, or are they, you know, amped up and ready to go because they want to, you know, prove a point that, you know, that was one game and, you know, they can bounce back from it. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, Fresno's a tough team. Jake Hayner. Uh, everyone thought he was going to transfer to Washington when Kalen DeBoer takes over the head coaching job there. They hire uh, Jeff Tedford, and, you know, Hayner decides to stay. And uh, he's, you know, one of these star quarterbacks in the country. And that, that environment there in Fresno is electric. They put, just like Stanford kind of put everything to this game, that's the problem is Fresno put so much into that game trying to beat Oregon State. I don't know how they're going to be able to bounce back from that and keep that energy up on the road because they, they did play well in front of that home crowd. You know, you score and there's a minute left and you think you're going to win the game. It's going to get a big win over a Pac-12 foe. It's a team that won 10 games last year. So uh, it's a, I think it's a really strong team. It's going to be another good test, another good quarterback, a more traditional kind of offense. So maybe this defense can, you know, start making some plays. If they can get in the backfield and force some sacks and some turnovers again, certainly that'd be a good thing. Uh, Fresno's kicking game wasn't very good. They missed a couple field goals, missed an extra point at the end. Um, but there, I feel this is going to be a game that probably sets up pretty well for USC, just coming the, the hangover, I think, that's going to happen from putting so much into trying to beat Oregon State and, uh, and falling just short in Fresno. Uh. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, Shotgun, I believe we put out for some questions for this podcast. I think we start getting to those. But while we transition into that, you get get those questions ready. Uh, Ryan, can you uh, explain and see if Shotgun wants to have an orange fight? (laughs) So we're driving, uh, but we're driving up here. There's orange groves on the side. And I was telling Chris, I think it was my freshman or sophomore year at USC, we had a group of guys doing the, you know, the weekender, driving back. And there's some stretches on the way back down, coming down on the five, that there's literally like a whole bunch of orange trees like right off of the side of the freeway. And for some reason, and I used to work at the produce department when I was uh, in high school, we used to have a lot of food fights in the produce department. So we're like, hey, let's have an orange fight. And we're like, okay. And so we like pull over and we're like, you know, there's like a fence where we have to like crawl over. We're getting towards the fence and like a Camaro, an unmarked Camaro pulls up and it's a cop. And he's like the loudspeaker, like, there's a rush, you know, there's a rush stop up this, this, you know, a mile up the road or whatever. Uh, so he was assuming we were trying to go to the bathroom. So we didn't offer up that we were actually going to try to do an orange fight, which probably would have been a bad idea for a bunch of 18 or 19 year olds. But yes, uh, I was tempted as we drove by, like, maybe we should stop uh, and have a little bit of an orange fight. But I don't know. Have you done one of those, Shotty? No, don't damage <laughs> my produce. <laughs> I used to oh, the produce department. Oh, oh because it's, it's peach fights down in Georgia, right? No, I don't have oh, any. Okay. <laughs> no fruits and vegetables need to be thrown. Okay, there's plenty of processed crap food that you can throw. 
Don't, don't mess with my good fruits and vegetables. I got a couple of moon pies with that process in it. Yes, you can throw that. Not sponsored, but if moon pie wants to give me money, give me some money. <laughs> but Shotgun, we have some questions, so why don't we uh, jump into those? I'll let you take over this, this portion of All the right. show. So we'll start with Rusty. He said, what was up with the field last night? 9 to 100 degrees and dry leading up to the game. You know, I think the weather conditions actually played into it because, you know, every, every stadium, the fields are built with grasses that are sustainable for the area. Well, when you have a heat wave or you have just abnormal weather conditions, then your field is normally going to take a hit from it. Uh, and luckily, USC's field didn't look like the uh, Soldier Field did before the game today in Chicago uh, in the NFL game because that looked awful. But there were a ton of players slipping and sliding. But there was one comment from Austin Jones after the game, and he was just kind of like, yeah, that's kind of how it is. Um, and, you know, that tells me that maybe that's the way the field normally kind of plays where you, know, you kind of – and he mentioned that you, you had to stop trying to make really deep cuts. You know, you can't get really wide with your base to try to make a cut. You had to kind of be a little bit more ginger knowing that. Because I saw some guys, you know, when you're trying to make your cut on your routes, I saw Malcolm Epps go down. I saw, you know, a couple DBs that were backpedaling and it was a run play, try to stop and come up to make a play. I saw them fall. You know, just those those quick turns, those quick change of directions were the ones where the, the feet were just leaving out from underneath players. So it, it's, it's something that happens. When you see it happening early and you see the, the turf being torn up, then you have to realize, okay, what can we make an adjustment here? How do I change just my gait as far as how I'm running or how I'm trying to cut and do different things like that? So you just have to be, you know, you have to be observant as a player and kind of make those adjustments and know that sometimes you're not going to be able to do exactly what you want to do as far as, you know, cuts and different things at, at every different field. So I, I think that was the main thing there. I don't know, Chris, what was your, your take on it being down on the field and kind of seeing some of those chunks fly up? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow you after that uh, breakdown of the field, <laughs> uh, the literal breakdown of the field. There was a lot of divots, a lot of chunks up there. You know, I'm filming, so I'm kind of viewing the game through a small little viewfinder. But I remember like Mario Williams flat out falling like yeah. three times, and I was like, I remember one route. It was, I believe, it was in the second quarter, maybe it was the third quarter. Uh, but it was Caleb was clearly looking for him, and I just see. Mario kind of just fall and Caleb has to look elsewhere and I, I believe it was that was a, it was a deep route yeah, yeah I saw yeah. him make the move and I could see from the press box you could see him looking at him and then his receiver falls down and he was kind of like I don't know if he threw it away or took off but yeah it was one of those things that just Mario just fell down there was nothing he could do okay, and Caleb didn't even like look like he panicked at all he was like <laughs> okay I'm just gonna look over here now because he did have a lot of time at, at times and uh, on, on Saturday in the pocket. Did, did Caleb, does Caleb ever panic? I mean, you don't see any panic ever on his face, like shooting photos of him as he's, you know, bailing out of the pocket, whether he's under pressure or whether he's just rolling out. It all looks the same to him, uh, or to me at least, looking at him. Uh, you, he, He's just so cool, calm, and collected. He knows where everything's going to be. And when he sees someone fall down, and again, like the Malcolm Epps route that I saw him fall down, that's who he was looking at. He was looking for Malcolm Epps, sees him fall down. He just turns to the next option. He knows everything. It's not a one-read offense, so he knows you know where to go with the next read if he sees someone fall down or whatever it may be. And then 
if there's nobody open because there's a, a fall or whatever, he can always take off on his own and create and, and pick up a couple yards or throw a Juju-esque you know, stiff arm and chunk someone out of the way like he did with the Stanford defender yesterday as well. You too little. You too little. <laughs> he yelled that uh, at the end of the Rice game when someone was on the sideline. So I think that's what he was saying in his head. You too little. I, I thought it was interesting, and you noted it in your in your uh, your game day ghost notes. But after the Jordan Addison touchdown, the seventy five yard touchdown, Caleb Williams came back sideline. He's fired up, and he's like, "That's what we do. That's how we do it." And, like, he and Austin Jones are going back and forth. And, like, you just see that when this offense is rolling, they the confidence that they play with on that sideline, and you're seeing it throughout the team, the confidence. I thought it's really interesting through these first two games is seeing how excited the offensive players were for Kalen Bullock's interception return. How excited Kalen Bullock was yesterday when Mario Williams scored his first touchdown. Just seeing those things and how excited the, the players are for each other on the other side of the ball. The guys you're going against every day in practice and asked, I think I asked Mario Williams about it and he's like, well that's the guys we go against. We're tired of facing them so we're excited when you know anyone on the team makes a play but you know, especially the guys that are making us better each day in practice so I, I think it's really interesting that the way this group is just the way it's come together. I mean, the fact that you have so many new guys and they just continue, it just seems like to grow closer and closer together. And all of this was just based on a question about the stupid turf. And and I want to give a shout out to the Coliseum, the the guys that take care of the the field management people at the Coliseum, because I've gotten a lot of insight talking with them in the past about, you know, how how to care for the field and how difficult it was for them when the Rams were playing at the same time. And that's when you saw a lot of the the turf being chewed up at, at the Coliseum and, you know, people complaining about it, me included. Give me another question. M1 Partners, do you think this SC team has the ability to run it eight or nine times on drives to punish teams? Yeah, I think so. Yes, I do. Are they there yet? I don't think they're there quite there yet. There's still a little bit of inconsistency for me, but I do certainly think they have that ability to get there and be that kind of team that can I don't punish think, you on the ground. I don't think they're quite to, I think it was 2014, 15, where USC's playing UCLA, and they literally ran the same exact play in the fourth quarter like eight times in a row. And Zach Banner was just going crazy, destroying. I think it was Osa Humanora uh, uh, from UCLA, uh, one, of their, one of their defensive ends just blowing them up over and over again and you just see how demoralized UCLA was knowing it's the same play every time. I don't think they're quite there yet but you did see in the Rice game the third quarter I think it was the third quarter the, they had one touchdown drive where it was all runs basically. I think there was one pass play down in the red zone. Maybe it was even the touchdown that was the pass play but everything else was runs getting the ball all the way down the field now that included Caleb Williams running the ball a little bit they included the running backs so I think that there's different options for them which makes this offense again just just dynamic and very difficult to handle if you're a defense the offensive line is playing really well but I do feel like sometimes in the, the run game you're getting the benefit of you know you have to defend the pass and so you might open things up a little bit if you just were running every time it might be a little bit different story but I, I think the offensive line is playing real well Josh Henson I think is done a nice job of that. I think the key's definitely going to be, like we talked about before, getting another guy or two that you feel confident in. So when if another injury happens or something happens, you have to throw someone in there. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to bring down the whole line. To, uh, to give uh, the offensive line some props, we'll go to Travis Dye. He was asked uh, what he saw on that touchdown run that he had. I believe it was a 27-yard touchdown run. He said, 
I didn't see nothing but the end zone because there was no one in front of him. He did not get touched. Justin Dietrich absolutely cleared out one side. Their linebacker overran the play as well. Just a huge semi, since we're passing all these semi-trucks on the five here. Wow. Semi hole to run through and you know he was able to run straight to the end zone without being touched so i think that tells you what what you need to know about the offense line what they're capable of there was a funny moment where it looked like he was like looking around and be like is there really no one <laughs> gonna hit me right now someone coming out of the blue here that i yeah. just missed max williams as person coming out of nowhere uh dave Petto want to know just like last season we saw a lot of pretty bad defensive play defensive back play in coverage last night. Do you think this is a coaching issue with the lone staff carryover? I want to see. I, we haven't got to rewatch it yet. I thought, just my gut, was Makai Blackman played well. They threw at him a ton. I think he got three penalties. Two of them, you could have been like, I don't think that was a penalty. That was more of a Pac-12 penalty than anything. Sort of One like of them of definitely wasn't. <laughs> I have photos of it. Makai's arms were out to his side. So he's using his body to push the receiver, and it's going over the receiver's head, and they call a flag on Yeah, he like, was, they were running, you know, stride for side. But he made enough plays. I mean, was involved in the fumble, involved, you know, got an interception. If, like, graded him out, I think. Um, oh, no. We're going down. Sorry, the, uh, <laughs> the Tesla's making me take over. Uh, <laughs> that was scary. It was a little scary. Uh, but, yes, so I, I feel like he, you know, i got to rewatch it, but I think he played pretty well. Considering the number of times he was tested, you know. Well, remember Lincoln said those are kind of aggression penalties. They're, those are going to happen if you're being aggressive. And I think maybe a little bit too much aggression at some time. So I think they'll probably try to clean it up in a film study. And again, like Ryan said, we'll have to go back and uh, look at it. Uh, but, you know, I think they're okay with the aggression. But sometimes they are going to get burned with some of those. I'm actually a little bit surprised they went at Makai so much. It seemed like they were really picking on Sierra. Rice was last game, but this time they were like, no, let's go at number six. We saw more Jacoby Covington for Sierra Wright, too. And, uh, so so uh, Chris asked me this on the sideline. I actually was talking with Jordan Moore on the sideline about it and then figured out the answer myself because they had substituted Jacoby Covington in the middle of a drive a couple times for Sierra. And I was like, why would you do that in the middle of the drive? It just seems it's not usually a position where you make mid-drive substitutions. And then I realized it was when they got in the red zone. So Jacoby Covington, better size, better length than Sierra Wright. So they were bringing him in to face you know those potential jump balls in the end zone. And literally two plays after I realized it, they throw to Jacoby Covington on the outside, on the, the right side. Uh, and he is right there in, play, in, in position to make a play. And it's an incomplete pass in the end zone. So that was the big thing there. Jacoby Covington was you know still getting mixed in as well. But I thought it was interesting. I was like, why is why are they bringing them in mid-drive a couple times? And it was because they had a special package for when they got in the red zone that uh, he would take over for Sierra Wright. I was a little bit surprised that they attacked Makai Blackman as much rather than Sierra Wright or Jacoby Covington. But, you know, I think all those guys held their own with those jump ball situations. It's not How many of those did they catch? I mean, Makai Blackman gave up one on the sideline that I believe the guy was out of bounds, should have probably been reviewed. Uh, and they, you know, Stanford hurried up to the, the line. Um, but, you know, to force an interception in the end zone on fourth down, to come up with a fumble in the middle of a pile, uh, and he, he 
could have potentially had another um, fumble recovery as well on the big hit from Tua Sivi Nomura if the if the running back, I believe it was, that caught it had, had taken one more step before so it would have been a fumble instead of an incomplete pass. So he was all over the place. I thought he played really well, especially with how many targets, he, how many times he was targeted. We'll see the final numbers. Sometimes you look at it and you say, oh, wow, he gave up some catches, but you don't realize how many targets that he gave up or how many times he was targeted in a game. So the, the percentage might be a little bit different there. I think the bigger concern is not with how the DBs played those jump balls, is all the the area that's open over the middle right now for some of those throws to the, the running backs, some of the throws to the tight ends. Now, that's not necessarily on the defensive backs, but I, I think that's a much bigger concern for the defense right now than how they played those jump balls because those DBs were on those guys all the time. Yeah. There was no space at all. So I think you actually give credit to Dante Williams rather than saying, hey, that's the one lone holdover. What's happening here? Give credit that the DBs are in the right place at all the time. And I thought, again, I, I think some of those calls on the pass interferences were a little – I called them meh pass interference calls uh, during the game. So I wasn't a, a big fan of all those that were made. We'll have to see moving forward again, and we want to watch the tape a little more before we kind of talk. But you're right. I feel like every time there was a ball, the USC cornerbacks were in position to make a play or get a flag in this case. And we have a couple more questions about cornerback play. Okay. Uh, Zach asked, is Makai that entrenched as a starter at cornerback? I would say yes. I would say yes. yes. No doubt. Um, I don't know. Can't find the name here on this one, but we got a question. Can Damani end up on the field soon, and could he possibly be our best corner that's not even playing? I think that's a it's a big jump right there for a true freshman, not you know not being able to practice consistently. Didn't play a senior year. Yeah, yeah. I think you're a little a little ways away, maybe even a long ways away from that happening. He's got to get back healthy and get on the field. That's the most the practice field. That's the most important thing for him uh, right now to be able to get those reps going against Jordan Addison, going against Mario Williams because. Damani Jackson's a big cornerback, and hey, he might do well against uh, Stanford. He might this might have been a good game for him to get some reps because of his size. But that's not he's going to face every single time. You're going to face some John Humphreys. You're going to face some Bryson Tremaine's and, and uh, Michael Wilson's. But you're also going to face the Jordan Addison's and Mario Williams of the world. And can he guard those guys as well? So that's going to be great for him when he gets back to practice full time. Is being able to be able to go against those type guys, go against Kyle Ford, go against the different body types that USC's wide receiver group has to help prepare him for whatever he faces on a Saturday. But I think he's a ways away right now from being a guy that's necessarily even in the mix. Now the question for me is, is there somebody else? Where's Josh Jackson? Is Prophet Brown? You know, are these guys ready to take a step forward and be in the mix um, in case someone starts, you know, gets a game where they're struggling a little bit or whatever? Because, you know, cornerback position is so much about confidence and, you know, being able to make the play. So if you give up one, you lose your confidence a little bit. Is there somebody else that's ready to step in and make some plays if you're not? Uh, so that would be a, a bigger ask of, uh, for me right now until we see Demaya Jackson get in the game and, you know, just get on special teams and whatnot first and, you know, be able to be out there for practice all the time. For sure. Absolutely. Zach also asked, any chance we see more Kyle Ford next week? And he wanted to know Dejon and Cortland injury status. We don't necessarily have the injury status right now. 
We did say that Dejan did not travel with the team, was not on the bench. As far as I could tell, I went through my you know my charting to see uh, you know everyone that played last week. He was the only player that was not dressed and in attendance uh, that had played in the opener. So that's something I'll, I'll take a look at next week as well. You know, we'll see who's who's there, whatnot. But Cortland, that one's a little bit of a concern. Like you guys said, he did get carted off. He had ice on that right foot, and then he was kind of he looked pretty bummed out in the uh, in the trainers, the medical tent and whatnot uh, it, during the fourth quarter. So that one's one that to keep an eye on definitely going forward because a lot of times you can tell from guys reaction you know chris mentioned it when talking about relique brown being carted off and how he was still laughing and joking and stuff so it didn't seem that serious and we did see relique brown play yesterday whereas Cortland ford just his i don't know what, what his demeanor was when you guys saw him being carted off but when i saw him in the tent he seemed pretty bummed out by by what was going on you mean that could also be like man I was kind of in a co-starter position. Now I'm going to lose some time. It could also have been that. Could you know, be. Like, 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 I'm in a competition with Shotgun for starting Photog. My camera <laughs> broke, and I'm down. I'm down for the count. So it might be a little bit like that, but and it could have just been the emotion of, you know, the game and just having to leave on a cart. But, you know, Corlin's a tough dude, and I feel like every time he's had some, some little nicks and injuries, he's always been out there at practice or been really close to practicing. So... I mean, just, we can't report on it if we see him at practice or we don't see him at practice, but I would guess they're going to try to ankle him up and he's going to try to be out there. He'll probably be limited this week, I would assume, but I would bet on Bobby Haskins being the, the number one guy going to Fresno State, but I think Bobby, uh, excuse me, Cortland will do all he can to to be out there at practice this week. Yeah, I think Kyle Ford was in that question too. It's yeah. like we were entering, we were entering the, you know, the media entrance to uh, Stanford Stadium and Kyle Ford's dad gives us a shout out and like, what's up, Brian? You know, it was pretty funny. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think this was a more, we saw like 12 different guys catch a ball against Rice. Obviously, there's a blowout situation. Guys came in off the bench. Not as much of that. It was pretty much focused on the main guys. You know, I think there were eight receivers that or eight different pass catchers in this game. A lot, but most of them had like one target, right? Yeah. Um, outside of, you know, Mario Williams and, and Jordan Addison. So I, I think it's going to be a developing rotation, you know, and we'll see. You know, it, it, it depends how you practice and all that. So I wouldn't, if you're a big Cal Ford fan, I wouldn't uh, get too discouraged. But, you know, it's this is an offense. They're, they're trying to figure a lot of this stuff out, too. You know, which, which guy's going to do what, what role, um, you know. So, yeah, I think there's still hope for Cal Ford if you think he could have a big season. I think, you know, he could have a week coming up that we've seen that before, like a Deontay Burnett, you know, does nothing, and then he's like the leading receiver for one week. So I think you could see some of that happening too, because they can really spread the ball around with this offense. And I mean, you look at Lincoln Riley mentioned it before, but what uh, Hollywood Brown did, Marquise Brown did it for Lincoln with Oklahoma, barely played the first three or four weeks of the season, and then, or maybe the first half of the season, and then almost finished with a thousand yards or finished with a thousand yards because he just lit it up in the second half because of what he did at practice to earn more opportunities. And they said, we got to get this guy on the field because he's making so many plays. And that was similar with Deontay, like you mentioned. We saw we just saw him making so many plays on scout team. We're like, what? This guy is killing the first team defense. And then you know, he gets this opportunity and continues to make plays. Um, next question was from Matt, was directed at me. Shotgun, how many hats do you own and what teams do you collect? The collection is up near 200 hats now. Last I counted was like 190-something. I don't necessarily collect any hats. I love all the old school Cooperstown collection baseball hats. I got several Negro Leagues hats. 
I have a ton of Atlanta hats just because I'm from outside of Atlanta. I'm an Atlanta fan, so I have a lot of Atlanta hats, but I don't collect necessarily any team. Just any cool designs, any uh, any uh, throwback um, patches and whatnot. I'm all about that type of action. How much for the entire collection? <laughs> Some eccentric uh, billionaire wants your collection. How much for it? Uh, I would have to tabulate you know, how much... It, Average price for hat is two twenty dollars for two hundred hats. You know, we'll put up four grand. We'll make it five just for. I'm not a math guy. That's Ryan's department, so he can uh, he can do that math. It's four thousand dollars, so we'll make it forty five hundred, and someone can have the whole collection. Okay, you heard it here. No, I'm saying you heard it here. Okay. <laughs> forty five hundred, we'll buy it. Are you buying it right now? I'm just saying, if anyone out there has forty five hundred dollars <laughs> that they want to spend on a shotgun set, I like how everyone looked at me when they were like. There was that pause. It was like, no, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Forty five hundred, we'll buy it. Chris's uh, Chris's head's too small for my my hat collection. Uh, Nick Wright want to know. He was at the game and he was stunned that SC didn't have a third down until late in the second quarter. What is the longest into a game before a team gets its first third down? And how did yesterday stack up? I'm just going to assume. Uh, Ryan, I don't know if you have any history on this. I assume not, but I would assume that there has been a team that has gone an entire game without a third third down. Just a complete utter domination. That would be tough. Like, so I know in week one, USC only had seven third downs. And I think more than half of them were when the second string came in. Um, but it was the fewest, I believe it was the fewest in the FBS that only only facing seven third downs. So, I mean, typically you're facing eight, nine, ten or more third downs. Yeah, that's to go like almost the whole half, like, you know, the first half of the game without a third down was pretty pretty ridiculous yeah Stanford at 13 yesterday um, you know you normally see in somewhere between 10 and 15 it's kind of just an average number but I think somewhere in the history of college football it has happened that someone did not have a third down. I'm doing a quick Google with this limited internet so maybe I'll get an answer later in the show but yeah I'll try to I'll try to get I'll try to see if there's a quick easy answer for this I would assume that you will not be able to find it but that's just me good luck though wow <laughs> Any more uh, questions? Yes, we do find them right here. Steve want to know, how do most SC fans not understand that this isn't your grandpa's college football? This was in regards to the yellow tights underneath. Mm. I don't know, what did you guys think of the yellow tights? He said, kids want a black uniform. They want an SC throwback. I played baseball at SC in the early 2000s. I remember we switched to Nike and the uniforms were much better fitting than our old victory ones. So, you know, what do you think uh, – you think about the, the yellow tights underneath and the potential of some new looks. We are seeing some new looks. There's some couple new helmet decals, you know, the, the fight on emojis on the front of the helmet. It says fight on the back of the helmet at the base where it previously said Trojans. I think the old look actually on the helmets look better just because it was raised. It looked just more official, whereas these are sticker decals that are on there and some of them don't exactly fit perfectly. Uh, but what do you guys think of some of the new look things that USC has done? Can we just say take it or leave it? Go uh, for it. Yellow tights. Yellow. I, I didn't even notice them. So you I didn't even know. notice it? The only thing I noticed was last week against Rice, Caleb had like a gray like undershirt or something under his uh, pads and stuff. Okay. So he, he sort of looked a little different. But he likes the long sleeve look. Yeah. I'll tell you that. I will take it. I, I I like the color com the color combo the double the double yellow for Jordan Addison and Mario Williams for that look I'm okay with like the these little like 
swag drip additions for their for whether it's the stickers or the patches or whatever. Yeah, it's a little. It's a little not. A, it, I mean. The yellow you, tights aren't very subtle. Either, you didn't even notice it, so maybe, yeah, so maybe it's subtle to me. Yeah. Subtle to him, but when you see it, it's like, oh, that guy is clearly looking a little bit different. But I'm okay with it. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a younger college football fan, college football reporter, so it doesn't like trigger me as much as some of maybe the older generation of fans. But I'm, I'm a firm take it. All right. Uh, okay. Okay. A little. A little hard. Uh, I'm not so big on the yellow tights. Uh, it's kind of whatever as far as you know. How do the players feel about it? But the thing I would like is a little bit more uniformity. Um, you know, if 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 some players gonna wear tight, if you're gonna wear tights, then you have to wear this color. You know, Caleb had on black tights. I think there might have been a couple players with white tights on. You had some players with yellow tights. I would just prefer, and kind of how it is, you know, maybe it's like it is in baseball. You pick one player and say, hey, what's the what's the look going to be this week type of thing. Um, you know, for in, base, thing? in baseball, a lot of times it'll be the starting pitcher chooses. Whether it be, hey, we're wearing our pants up, we're wearing stirrups, wearing our pants down, we're wearing, you know, a certain uniform. Like a lot of times the starting pitcher will get that choice or the coach will make the decision before and whatever it is, but you choose one look and hey, everyone's going to do that rather than having some people, you know, looking one way, some other people looking a different way. Um, so I like, you know, being able to show your personality a little bit, but I would like to have a little bit closer to uniformity with, with those type things. I don't mind that you're, you're mixing it up, but I want, you know, if you're going to wear those type things, I want, you know, to wear everyone kind of be looking the same. That's an interesting thing because I feel like with baseball players, more or less, they all kind of have similar uh, drip types, if you will, kind of that similar, that they're all kind of similar in that regard. But like with a football team, it's like, Andrew Voorhees' drip is very different from Caleb Bullock's drip. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Look at baseball. You have Dominicans. You have Venezuelans. You have... Uh, I was just thinking on a general... You have Japanese players. I was thinking on a general college boys. A general college team. Like, <laughs> Texas A&M's baseball team. Light them up. Put them down. Pretty much all the same to me. Yeah, they're going to have all the same, but then compare them to, you know, to... But you're talking about, like, an MLB? I'm talking just in general. I was talking about baseball. Okay. I wasn't necessarily talking about college, but yeah, I see what you're going with there. But yeah, it is definitely different as far as college baseball versus college football. There, just let Justin Dieters pick. No, no, let Dennis Ledge pick. Everyone's gonna be turtlenecks <laughs> and chains coming to the coming to the Coliseum. And the last question I have here, I don't know if you have any more, Chris, uh, on your end, but Ted wanted to know: Has the USC O line met your expectations through Game Two? And he said they've met mine. Yep. I think they've uh, met, met the expectations uh, through the first two weeks. I would say so. I would say so. I mean, I, I think they've looked good. Um, still some things to clean up as far as the holding penalties. I think that's a, a product of the new offensive system and the things they're being asked to do as far as getting outside of some blocks, some reach blocks, and different things like that. That's where some of those holdings, like Cortland Forge was him trying to get outside and reach block on a guy, and the defender beats him to the spot, knowing when – to hold on when to let go because it's just a different offense when you're pulling this much versus what they were doing previously so it's a different kind of skill set and different uh, knowledge of when to when to attack when to let go you know when to try to you know instead of instead of grabbing the guy just try to use his momentum and carry him out of the play and give a, a cutback lane or whatever it may be there so I, I think they're still learning a little bit and I asked both Travis Dye and um, and uh, Austin Jones about 
where they've seen the offensive line, where they're still improving. And one of, that was one of the things that Travis Dye mentioned is on those GT pools, the guard tackle pools, how they're able to get outside and create that, set that block and whatnot. He said that's an area where he's still seeing them uh, make some adjustments and make some advancements in it. So, again, I think the offense is only going to continue to get better. I think the team as a whole is only going to continue to get better as they get more familiarity in this offense and defensive schemes. Yeah, they're definitely moving a lot more, like you said, with the pulling. And it's, it's one of those situations where there's enough playmakers that even if you're, your hands are in the right spot, you don't need to hold. You can just kind of be in the way. And someone behind you is going to make a play. So you can't worry about, well, I'm going I'm to get the play blown up because I missed my block and I'm going to hold this guy and hope I don't get caught. I feel like there's enough playmakers like Caleb Williams could make the guy miss. Um, he can just get the ball out quickly. Whatever it is, you feel like you don't need to hold if you're in that situation. So maybe that's something you kind of learn as you go that – um, you don't have to be perfect, and this offense is still probably going to be able to click. Uh, shotgun, I don't know if you can pull up mine, but I'm not having a lot of inter- <laughs> uh, inter- uh, internet. I'm having some internet issues. Um, but I think there was one question under the tweet that I sent uh, with the GIF early in the morning, so I think that might be the only one. I'm still trying to pull up the see if I can find the... The fewest third down. Third down. I was looking at this list of most unbreakable records. Um, I'm not seeing anything about third downs, unfortunately. All right, we got a couple questions from Chris's tweet earlier today. Oh, really? There's more? From Paul. We had, offense is fantastic, but defensive line is obviously going to be an issue all year. Which games do you see this potentially costing us? I would say Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State's going to be a good running team. I think Utah will... But they're going to be a little more traditional, too. So, right, I mean, right. I'm curious to see what how this team bounces back by playing a more traditional offense. But, yeah, those teams can definitely run the ball. They're physical up front. UCLA, same sort of thing. Like, those are teams that could give USC trouble. And if the USC offense kind of falters early, you know, you can kind of take away a running team. If you go up 14 points, it's really hard to just kind of control the ball, control the clock. But if the offense kind of turns the ball over early, which we haven't seen this offense do, then it's going to put more pressure on your defense. Right now, the offense is helping the defense by kind of alleviating that pressure. Well said by chauffeur Ryan. <laughs> I mean, I think the one that stands out to me, those two teams that you mentioned that are on the schedule in the next month or so are important, but UCLA one is the one. Now, I think the USC will have figured out who they are a little bit more by that time. But Chip Kelly has, has done a good job in the past, particularly against USC, of exploiting you know, deficiencies on that defensive front. And I think that when he is able to find something, he can just needle it over and over and over. Uh, You know, they've had a bunch of other deficiencies at UCLA, but that's one of the things that they've done really well under Chip uh, is being able to to find that area and kind of attack it over and over. So if USC is struggling there, I think that UCLA would be able to, to cause a lot of problems for USC. And the last question was from Matt. Yeah, we kind of mentioned this already, but you think uh, Riley and the offense let up on the gas in the second half to not show their whole playbook, or were they just trying to kill the clock? I think it was more so to not show all their their stuff. As you as you eloquently put it, Shotgun, it's just, you know, keep some stuff in the bag for, for a rainy day. Yeah, it just felt like that you were up enough that you didn't have to break out the, the special play here or special play there if you didn't have to. So they just kind of ran some of the similar stuff, and uh, it felt like that they could have opened it up a little bit more, maybe attacked, but decided to, to stick with what they had already used in the game and, and go with it. 
I gotta execute a little bit better to, to be able to uh, accomplish those. Yeah, I, I asked Jordan Addison about like, do you feel like the offense got complacent a little bit in the second half? Because it's it's one of those things where they had so much success so fast. It you, it wasn't even like oh you face a third and long you converted. It. it was just you moved the ball without even getting a third down. You scored every single time, and you kind of like sit on your laurels a little bit. You're like oh you know we like this was pretty easy. And you're not you don't have that same drive in the second half. Well, you don't need it as much, and you're sort of you know things were coming really easy in the first half. So that might have been a combination of all that stuff. And that's obviously something they'll have to work on. Not not coming out flat. I heard a couple players say they come out flat. So that's certainly something we've seen in practice, where the coaches have had to address it and make them do up downs or or give them some extra some punishment. So definitely coming out flat is something they're going to have to work on mentally moving forward in this season. Well, which is interesting because the first play of the second half was a bomb to Jordan Addison. Right. So they didn't come out flat on that first play, or at least Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison didn't. But, I mean, there could be complacency after that, too. Like, we've moved the ball, we've moved the ball, we've moved the ball. It's like, oh, it's going to be another. bomb, okay, we're we're in. You know, and you you get an offensive pass interference, and it's like, oh, what happened? And uh, we had to kick a field goal, you know. It's like... Yeah, so maybe that was, that was part of it. One little penalty happens, yeah. moves you back. Okay, now, now, now it just you know snowballs a little bit. Yeah. I think we're, I think we're, we're done. Are we done? Woo! We're here. I think we're, we're done. Are. We're just gonna stop here and live in this land <laughs> and, and be over. Um, shotgun, you were great as always. Chauffeur uh, Ryan, have you ever been in a podcast before? I was really impressed by your presence and uh, your your knowledge. My first time. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> you, should, you should start a podcast. Maybe uh, a, a, a fa- uh, maybe one day it'll become the most popular, you know, USC podcast out there. Sound good? I'd say hey, that sounds great. You got you guys are great mentors. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll give you a, a five star review on uh, whatever app we rented you on. Uh, Tesla Talk app. And if the Tesla Talk, you get a, you get a Tesla and some of the talks. Uh, speaking of five star review, make sure you leave us a. Actually, you do the bit. Yeah, leave us a five star <laughs> review at the Peristyle Podcast. It really helps to grow the show. You're at the water cooler, your office. We can do that now. The pandemic's over, right? Tell your friends. They're USC fans. Maybe they love USC. Maybe they hate USC. Tell them about the Peristyle Podcast. We've been doing this since 2008, covering the Trojan football team. Not a better time to listen, to talk, to think about USC football than right now with Lincoln Riley, 2-0, number seven in the country, AP poll. Chris forgot to mention that. Uh, yeah, it's a big deal around the USC football program right now, Chris. I love how quickly he dropped the bit. It was like, you no, know, <laughs> right, in, right into selling mode. Like, let's go. Let's go. I'm here. All right. That's going to wrap up maybe the third edition of the Helium Boys Car Carway, Highway, CarCast, whatever you want to call it. Thank you to special guest Ryan, chauffeur Ryan, for uh, driving it, driving us so we can focus a little more on what we're saying. That is Shotgun. I'm Chris. That is chauffeur Ryan. Ryan, give me some Willie Nelson to play us out here. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.